Welcome. This is a Vascular Forum interview. Hello and welcome to the Vascular Forum interviews. Here with us today are Dr. Stavros Kakos, Head of the Department of Vascular Surgery and Associate Professor at the University of Patras in Greece, and Manj Gohel, Vascular Surgery Consultant at Adam Brooks Hospital, Cambridge, Honorary Senior Lecturer at Imperial College of London, and Associate Lecturer at the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. The two leading authors of the recently published ESVS 2021 Clinical Practice Guidelines on the Management of Venous Thrombosis. Thank you very much for making the time to join us here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. First of all, we'd like to congratulate you for creating the first ever ESVS guidelines on the management of venous thrombosis. How did the idea arise to focus on this pathology and how is the process of developing these guidelines? Well, let me start. I received an invitation from the ESVS Executive Committee via the Guideline Committee Chair to publish this particular topic. And then we sat down and decided to invite my co-chair. I'll just add to that. I think, first of all, the ESVS has a tremendous reputation and track record in producing high-quality vascular surgical guidelines for topics such as aortic aneurysms and peripheral arterial disease, carotid disease. But there's been a very, very clear recognition in recent years that venous thrombosis is an important part of vascular practice. And particularly focused for the vascular specialist, there really wasn't any recent guidelines in this field. So that was another important motivation. And I think it's very exciting that we managed to compile the, the writing group that we did to produce this document. And how was the writing group compiled? Very simple. I looked through the authors of other guidelines, looking for European physicians that have already attracted records in deep vein thrombosis guidelines, but also I searched PubMed using filters for RCT and meta-analysis. So I came up with a number of potential candidates, and I have just to email them and ask them if they would like to be part of this great adventure. So it wasn't just vascular surgeons then on the writing committee of these guidelines? Venous thrombosis is managed by a really wide speciality of, uh, of physicians, a wide group of physicians, and we had to recognize that in the writing group. And so the physician who manages these conditions really depends on the country and the healthcare system. So we were very cognizant of this. So in the guideline group, we had vascular surgeons, we had obviously thrombosis hematologists, internal medicine specialists, angiologists. It was very exciting to work with all these different specialities. Both Stavros and I are vascular surgeons. We have a certain perspective. Yes, we have an interest in venous thrombosis, but we don't have the same level of deep understanding that a lot of these really world-leading experts brought to the panel. So it was a really exciting process for us, but it was fantastic to get this expertise at the non-surgical perspective on this topic. Were there any controversies during the writing of the guidelines or were there any controversies between the different specialists on the writing committee? Listen, there are several controversial areas in this topic. And the most controversial areas where there was not a lot of evidence or where the evidence was not conclusive. But we had a very, very good approach for discussing these topics in detail, reviewing the evidence in detail and resolving any disagreements or differences in opinion through debate and discussion, which was actually very enlightening and very interesting. But of course, there are, you know, in healthcare, in evidence, in medicine, there are always areas where there's controversy and this is no different. 
Well, we try to resolve these controversies by performing our own in-house meta-analysis. We perform the meta-analysis on the role of probectomy in patients with deep vein thrombosis. We also publish two meta-analyses to provide us the evidence that was subsequently used in the guidelines. One patient with cath DVT that was published in Cochrane Library and another meta-analysis patients cancer-associated DVT that was published in the European Journal of Vascular and of Surgery. And what is really important is that the guidelines include a section for research that needs to be done. So we hope also that the document will act as inspiration to future researchers to help answer some of these unanswered questions. What do you think will be the most important modifications for our clinical practice with the implementation of these guidelines? I'll focus on one area that I think is really important, and that's the management of superficial vein thrombosis. So this is a a topic that's often managed in primary care. It's seen by vascular surgeons. But recent evidence has made it very clear this is not a benign pathology. A lot of these patients have got DVT at the time of diagnosis, and the recurrent VTE risk is really quite significant. So this is one of the first guideline documents, to my knowledge, that has really focused on this area. We produced, um, hopefully, some very clinically useful algorithms and clear recommendations for how people can risk stratify patients with superficial vein thrombosis and also clear guidance on anticoagulation and further management of these patients. So I'm very excited about that area. I think it's something that we've not managed well in the past. And so I'll highlight that in particular. Other areas that are original is the role of thrombolysis, the use of low-dose DOAC, in particular fixaban and rivaroxaban, for the secondary prevention beyond six months, the use of DOAC, cancer-associated DVT, These are certainly areas that we have new evidence. So besides the previously mentioned meta-analysis that you have also recently worked on and published, have there been any trials that have been fundamental for the new evidence in these guidelines? And if you had to recommend to our readers one or two studies that they should additionally read, what would they be? Yes, the Caravaggio study in patients with cancer-associated DVT where Apixaban was better than Dalteparin. I'll highlight a couple of areas. So I won't, I won't mention specific studies, but I think there's a couple of themes here. So firstly, this guideline document really builds on previous guidelines about the importance of DOACs and the role of DOACs, particularly for the treatment of venous thrombosis, even in the long term, beyond three months. And a number of studies for both rivaroxaban, apixaban, and adoxaban have all shown this to be beneficial. So that's one broad theme including the reduced dose of rivaroxaban and apixaban. And so these studies are really, really important because they demonstrate very good longer-term VTE prevention, but actually lower bleeding risk in the therapeutic dose treatment. So very, very important. And the other area, again, this is the first guideline document that has taken into account all of the latest studies and randomized trials looking at early thrombus removal for ileofemoral DVT, including the CAVA study, the latest ATRAC subgroup analysis, as well as the older caverns and torpedo studies. So really the, the latest up-to-date evidence. So back in the old days, nearly all the cases of DBT were admitted for 48 to 72 hours of observation, a practice that is fortunately no longer followed. Nowadays, which patients do you think should be hospitalized? 
patients with pain, the massive ilofebrile DVT, women that are pregnant, recurrent DVT, patients with coexisting comorbidities. Um, so we have a 1A recommendation that most patients should be treated on an ambulatory out-of-hospital basis, and I would totally support that. So very, very few of these patients should be admitted. And I think the default should be to manage these patients with venous thrombosis in an out-of-hospital setting. But, you know, in addition to the, the very comorbid groups that Stavros has already mentioned, I think those people that are being considered for early thrombus removal are the, are the real patients also that potentially would benefit. One of the areas which really highlights as a novel area is the importance of early compression therapy. So there is a, a bit of a dogma that it's potentially even dangerous to apply compression to an acute DVT, but a number of studies have clearly shown that not only is it safe, it's actually very effective, both in terms of reducing the initial symptoms, but also potentially improving the venous recanalization and also the post-thrombotic syndrome. So that's another really important uh, area to highlight as well. Another question we have also been asking ourselves is, how long should we follow these patients and who should follow them? This is a very good question. There are countries like the UK where there are well-organized anticoagulation clinics, but there are other countries where the medicine doctors are following up patients to ensure that their anticoagulation level is appropriate. Having said that, vascular surgeons nowadays with the use of DORC can easily follow up these patients, not only for in terms of anticoagulation, but also to monitor the condition of the leg. The post-robotic leg may develop in up to 50% without use of elastic stockings. I know that this is a controversial area. However, we have a nice flowchart in the guidelines where patients with data score is less than four can easily discharge their elastic stockings. It's more than five. This means that they still need to use the elastic stocking to prevent swelling and development of ulcers. I'll just make one additional comment there, which is that we have to remember why we're following these patients up. So one is to, of course, monitor the state of the leg and PTS. I agree with that entirely. But, but also it's to do, make decisions about anticoagulation and also assessment of bleeding risk, periodical assessment of bleeding risk. And whoever follows these patients up has to have that in mind. And, and you're right. In the UK, it's often hematologists and thrombosis clinics. But in different parts of Europe, the specialist is not really important as long as they can assess the bleeding risk and the status of the leg. We've seen that the COVID pandemic has associated an increased incidence of thrombotic events, venous mainly, but also arterial. Now, what you know now, would you change anything that is contained in the guidelines or add some specific section or recommendations? So we are in the UK in the middle of our uh, a very severe second or third wave of COVID now, as we're recording this. And even now, even a year after the start of the pandemic, there's a lot that we don't understand about the thrombosis risk with COVID. We know that a lot of the thrombosis risk is due to the very severe inflammation in the acute phases, and a lot of it is microvascular thrombosis. There's also some interesting evidence that shows that the higher VTE risk is really in the first three to four weeks of severe illness. And there's actually quite a rapid drop back to baseline. But I think it's really too soon. And it certainly would have been too soon to include any COVID-related recommendations in this guideline document. But I think the research related to COVID and VTE will be going on for many, many years to come. Do you think the pandemic will speed up the implementation of the recommendations or do you think it might not have any effect? 
So on the one hand, you may think that people might have a little bit more time, can't go on holidays, can't go out to restaurants. So they may have more time to, to digest and interpret these guidelines. But I think the biggest challenge will be the disruption of normal services. And also a lot of the healthcare staff are working remotely. So those opportunities to get together, to, to learn about new guidelines, to put into practice these new recommendations, I think those processes will be impaired for quite some time. But hopefully these sort of events will give readers and specialists around Europe the chance to at least understand the changes and the new recommendations. Finally, just in case we have any listeners out there thinking, I'm already familiar with the chess guidelines and I'm just too busy to read another set of guidelines dealing with DBT. Why should we read these CSVS thrombosis guidelines? What do they add to other previous published guidelines on the topic? The last update of the CS guidelines was published in 2012. In 2016, there was a small abbreviated version of the guidelines. Obviously, during the last five years, there have been a lot of trials, RCTs that were published. So two really important reasons. Number one is that there are specific areas that have been covered that have not been covered in other guidelines. I've mentioned superficial vein thrombosis, but also the role of the new DOAC trials, the role of early compression therapy, lots of new areas. But the second reason is that these guidelines are clinical treatment guidelines. Every single recommendation, every single algorithm is designed to help physicians who see and treat patients. And so those who are interested in updating their pathways, these are the best guidelines to look for actual day-to-day pragmatic recommendations. Well, thank you very much for joining us today for this Vascular Forum interview. On behalf of our team, we would like to congratulate you and thank you and all the co-authors and reviewers for creating the first guidelines dealing with venous thrombosis from a vascular surgical perspective. There are numerous activities around the publication of these guidelines taking place. There was a Twitter discussion a few weeks ago, and there will be an ESVS webinar on the 23rd of February with our two guests discussing the guidelines live. We encourage all listeners to secure the date in their agendas. It will be a great event. So thank you again for making the time to talk to us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having us. And just as a final thank you to the writing committee, to the reviewers, it's been a great team effort. Thank you very much. We will be back soon with more Vascular Forum podcasts. Look out for the upcoming interviews with Professor Sebastian de Vos and with the editors of Virtual Vascular. Remember, you can listen to all podcasts, open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, the Vascular Forum webpage, and the ESVS e-library. Have a great day. Bye.